0: It was December 2nd, 2019, and there was an international cross-country race taking place in uh, Nuvar, and Spanish runner Fernandez an- Anaya was competing in this race, and he was a distant second to uh, a Kenyan named Abel Mute. And something strange took place. As they entered the, f- uh, the last straightaway to finish the race, the, the Kenyan runner uh, way out in front the certain winner of the race mistakenly pulled up 10 meters before the finish, thinking he was done. He thought he'd finished the race. Uh, Fernandez quickly caught up with him, but instead of exploiting Mute's mistake, he made gestures and stayed behind him and said, You, you haven't finished the race. Make, make, cross, cross the finish line. And Fernandez let Mute uh, finish first. And um, this uh, Fernandez is considered one of the best uh, Spanish runners with a big uh, future. But here's what he said when he was interviewed. He said, but even if they had told me that winning would have earned me a place on the Spanish team for the European Championships, I wouldn't have done it either. I also think that I have earned more of a name having done what I did than if I had won. And that's very important because today with all the things that are, are in all circles in soccer, in, in society and in politics, where it seems anything goes, a gesture of honesty goes down well. What do you think? We're to, uh, I think, number six or seven message in our, our, our book uh, of, of Daniel, and today we're going to look in depth at a few verses that talk about Daniel's integrity and his honesty. Welcome to Grace Point this morning. I'm glad to see all of you here. If you're joining us online, uh, I, I praise God that you're joining us uh, that way. I pray that God moves mightily in your life. Throughout the Daniel series, we've covered huge amounts of the story uh, any given Sunday, almost too much. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. You just can't get through all the material. Today, uh, we're slowing down a little bit. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 6, just verses 1 through 5. And we're going to look at in depth, this idea that Daniel was a man beyond reproach that God uh, was working mightily in this guy's life and that he demonstrated for us what it means to be someone who lived a a holy life. So I want to begin this morning by reading to you the scripture from Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Listen to this. It pleased Darius, now he's the new king, the Med persian king. Remember, there's Nebuchadnezzar, then there's a whole bunch of kings that were assassinated, then Belshazzar last week we talked about, um, then, then Darius came and slain Belshazzar, he's no more, now he's the new king uh, over, uh, over the area, and he, he's a and from the Medes and the Persians, okay? So it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So here's our big thought for the message today. And I pray this is our, 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 our testimony too, friends. May no basis for attack be found against God's people except that they follow Jesus. May there be nothing that can be brought against us except that we follow Jesus Christ. I've mentioned this several times over the last uh, few years, but it just bears repetition frequently. I think it's that important. Um, when the followers of Jesus Christ center their lives on anything other than Christ himself, no matter how good the issue is, no matter how important the issue may seem at the time, if that becomes the center point, what unites divides? It separates the body of Christ into factions. And we have to ruthlessly center our lives around the person of Jesus Christ and let everything else find its proper place then in that priority uh, a system. What the world really needs to see from the church of Christ right now is a bunch of fanatical followers of Jesus living for his glory, falling hard after him, loving um, each other and being the fragrance and aroma of, of God uh, to this world. I, I, I think for us, you know, following the ways of Jesus Christ are encapsulated in this tablet that I have on my desk all the time. It's the Beatitudes. I think for us as followers of Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount is like some, some what I would call very fundamental teaching for us to understand and adhere to. And it begins, that teaching of Christ begins with the Beatitudes. And these need to be the ways of Jesus that define us. That when people look at you and I, this is what they see. So I'm going to walk through these uh, very, very quickly and just see if you don't resonate. It begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now whenever you hear that terminology, poor in spirit, what basically is being told is, blessed are you when you're humble, when you know who you really are, and you know your desperate need of God. You know who other people are. You know their desperate need of God. And that drives you as a person. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn for they should be comforted. What this means is I mourn over my sinfulness. I mourn over my failings. I don't rejoice when other people fail. I don't rejoice when somebody with a different political persuasion than me does bad. I don't, I I mourn. I mourn at the fallenness of humanity. I mourn at our brokenness. It drives me as a person to God and to dependence on him. And and we're called to mourn for people and mourn for our culture. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, right? What does it mean to be meek? It means my strength is under God's control. Blessed are you when your strength, your drives, your passions are under God's control because you're going to be one that inherits the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they're going to be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I look at this every day. I think, may these kind of things define me, God. Define who I am as a person. And if anybody has anything against me because of this, so be it. But Lord Jesus, I don't want to be one who gives people legitimate ammunition against me. May, may the only thing that comes against God's people be something about following our Jesus, amen? But not something that's legitimate and something that we're doing uh, wrong that, 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 that then results in that kind of, um, kind of thought process. Let me, let me go to a tangent with you already this morning. You're right with a tangent today. I, I, I'm just kind of like that. I'm all over the map, so I thought, why not just preach that way? Anyway? That's what I, I used to do. Anyway, I'll just tell you what I'm doing here. Um, we're not going to get to the second half of Daniel, so we're going to complete our, our study of Daniel by, by uh, looking at chapter 6 uh, next week. I would love to get into the other chapters. It's, they're, they're deeply prophetic, And they're really interesting to talk about. There's a lot of opinions on what it means. But what I'm going to share with you is is one part of Daniel uh, that's really clear in its, its, uh, uh, well, I'll just talk to you about it. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is praying. And we're told that the angel Gabriel shows up and begins to uh, reveal to Daniel things that are going to come. And, of course, one of, the natural, one of the natural things that the Hebrews like Daniel would have wondered is, is Jerusalem going to be restored? Is it ever going to be what, like it used to be? And, and, and Angel Gabriel speaks to this. He said, um, um, to the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem uh, until the anointed one comes, which is a reference, friends, to Jesus Christ, will be 69 weeks. Now, you have to understand some things about prophecy to understand what was being foretold here. In in Old Testament times, when they talked about a day, it would represent a year, and a week would represent seven years. So basically what the angel Gabriel was saying, um, from the time that it's declared to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the Anointed One, of the Lord Jesus Christ, will be 483 years. So a decree was indeed made, Later on in the reign of Darius here, okay, you remember who's the king right now? Darius. Daniel's at the front end of his reign. In the book of Nehemiah, at the rear end of his reign, so to speak, a decree is made to rebuild Jerusalem. Okay, it begins, right? That clock begins. I don't know if you know your Bible, but a lot of the Bible, when you read Isaiah and like Nehemiah, it's all happening during this time period, okay? Okay? all right? And so it's, it's, really, it's really neat here. And so there's a decree made in, to Nehemiah. You go build Jerusalem, the clock begins. 483 years later, using the Jewish calendar of 360 days. That's really important because if you use our calendar 365 days, it doesn't work out. But their calendar is 360 days, okay? On Palm Sunday, was 483 uh, years. That's when Jesus Christ made himself known to the masses as he went into Jerusalem, okay? Now, do you think that's phenomenal or what? Come on! Do I need to poke you? Come on, this is phenomenal for familiar prophecy. It's so phenomenal that the critics of the Bible... And critics of Christianity have said, this must have been written after the fact. There's no way it could be written before the fact. But I said this last week. What critics try to bury, what, ha- what do archaeologists do? They dig it up. So they dig up these things called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And one of the books in Dead Sea Scrolls is Daniel, right? And there it is. It shows that Daniel was written way before Jesus Christ came, and it, and it validates the antiquity of the book of Daniel, kind of bearing the critic, you know, with the, with the truth that this thing is true. Now, here's why I share that, because I, I know this kind of stuff a lot, because I study it all the time. It just makes my faith so much bigger in Jesus Christ and who he is. How about you? And we, friends, need to center our lives on Jesus He has to be the priority, and everything else then finds its proper place. Jesus is who he claims to be. And we must center then our lives and our relationships and our priorities on him. And hopefully then, if anybody has a problem with you or me, the problem they have is how we fanatically follow Jesus. Okay. That's okay. But if it's because we're doing some things and we're divided and we're, you know, having all these kind of, uh, you know, things that are, 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 you know, important but not that important driving us, then we're giving them ammunition, legitimacy to doubt us. Now, can you imagine how hard it must have been for, for, for us? Uh, uh, he, Daniel. I mean, think about this over and over. He's going through all these kings. It starts with this crazy guy Nebuchadnezzar, right? And he has to, you know, be God's man to show him that God is sovereign and, and that uh, He's the only true God. And then there's a succession of kings we don't even talk about that he has to endure through in the Babylonian kingdom. And then he gets to Belshazzar last week, and he's drinking wine out of the sacred goblets and you know profaning the things of God. And once again, Daniel has to deal with him. Now Daniel's an old man. He's in his 80s. I mean. Think about the redundancy of this. Now he gets to, to Darius, and here we go again. God's going to have to show himself to be the one, one true God once again. And I, I, I look at this, I think, oh, we think we have to be redundant and do things over and over again. This poor guy, that's his life. But yet he was so faithful and so holy and so set apart to God. It's simply amazing how he stood fast over the long haul. And I find myself, even as I'm reading the book again, I've read this book so many times, I'm thinking, Jesus, do you ever do this? Jesus, just give me the faith like Daniel that I would be steadfast in you and never doubt you. And then I, I pray frequently, forgive me for becoming so familiar with you I lose the awe of who you are and the things that you've done. Just renew that passion in me. Renew that steadfastness in me. King Darius appointed Daniel as one of the supervisors over the satraps. And... Um, and, and he intended to give Daniel the whole kingdom. Daniel was doing so excellent. And the conclusion reached by Daniel's enemies was, we're not going to ever find anything wrong with this dude. I mean, this guy is upright. This guy is a man of integrity. There's, there, there's no corruption in him. There's no neglect in him. And I, I like that they put there's no neglect. He worked hard at, at what he did. He excelled at what he did. He had the anointing of God on his life. They said, the only way we're going to trap this guy or, or get rid of him is going to have to be something to do with the law of his God. What a testimony, Amen. I mean, think about that. We can't find anything wrong with him. So so it's going to have to be something there that we we kind of get him on that that puts an odd between him and the king and his God. That's the only way we're going to trip this guy guy up, which is what next week is all about. Um, So as a follower of God, Daniel models the holy life. Now, I've mentioned this several times, but when we're looking at the book of Daniel, these first six chapters are just It's just an example of the holiness of Daniel and how he followed hard after God. Now, let me explain what holy means. Holy means that I'm set apart for the purposes and the glory of God. So when we say we want to be people who are holy, what we're saying is I want to be set apart, God, for your purposes, and what I I do in my life, I want it to bring glory to your name. Okay, that's what it means to be uh, one who's who's, uh, holy. When you're born in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you give your life to Christ, friends, this work of holiness begins, whether we realize it or not. When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit enters into you and the transformation process begins to take place. And, and we're, we're, we're on a destiny, and a journey to look more and more like Jesus Christ. We who love Jesus are, are being transformed into his likeness uh, day by day. And Daniel, for us, I think, models some key elements, some key ways that holiness begins to be part of our, 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 our life process, okay? And so what I want to do is use, use the scripture that we read this morning for just a few moments to talk with you on this life of holiness that God has called his people to. Daniel models this for us wonderfully. So let's, let's begin this, this, this process here, and I'll, share, I'll start with this first point. Daniel distinguished himself by his exceptional qualities, so I read that and I go, okay, Daniel, Daniel was just distinct. He was distinctly different. He distinguished himself by his uprightness and his following heart after God. So my, my mind works like this. I don't know how your mind works, but this is how my mind works. I go, how do we do that? How, how do we, as followers of God, distinguish ourselves by exceptional qualities? Where, what does that look like? And right away I thought, you know what? Colossians chapter 3 It's nothing more than an extended teaching on how to distinguish yourself by exceptional qualities. It's all about holy living, Colossians chapter 3. So I just kind of went there, and I thought, well, what does it say? How do we do this? How do we actually live it out? You know, because in Daniel, it just says he did it, right? It's kind of like lacking the, 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 well, how, right? And so so I went to Colossians 3, and I just pulled out some, some thoughts here. First of all, in, in Colossians 3, we're told this. Set your heart and your mind on things above. That's, that's like the first thing to holy living that's, that's revealed to us in Colossians 3. Let me read to you um, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 2. Listen to what it says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So when you're born again in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you give your life to, to God by faith in, in Jesus Christ, this process is supposed to begin. It's kind of this dual process. On the one hand, we're to put to death all sinfulness in our lives. We're to put to death sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and greed. And so we're to put these things to death. We're to, we're to realize, okay, God's in me. The Holy Spirit's doing a work of transformation. I need to cooperate with that. And I, I want to, God, put some of these things off of my life that used to govern my life. I mean, you're putting them to death. And then it, the, the Colossians goes on to say, read yourself of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. And the idea is, if you can do this visually, it's like you're taking this old clothing and you're stripping it off. And you're in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. When he, when he says, get rid of this, you say, okay. And then if you can, you pray, grace me to do it. Amen? There's this kind of cooperative understanding uh, of getting rid of this stuff. But then we're supposed to clothe ourselves with something, Colossians says, with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Sounds a lot like what? the Beatitudes. We're supposed to clothe ourselves. We're supposed to purposely uh, push into those kind of things. Holy living means we stop behaviors that are sinful and lead to destruction, and we put on and adopt attitudes and behaviors that are life-giving and set us apart for the glory of God. And I always say this to myself anymore. Error on the patient side. Error on the kindness side and compassion. One of the best of I, I'm a person that, my, my, my spiritual, um, you know, love language is encouragement. So when people say an encouraging word, when, when it's thought out. One day someone said, good message, Pastor. I said, well, by the way, I didn't preach today. But it was a good message. I thought, that wasn't really, <laughs> that wasn't really edifying. And the person looked horrified. I said, yeah, you know, I look the same as that guy, maybe 40 years older than him, but whatever, you know. Anyway, any rate, um. But, but one of the things that really touched my heart was here a while back, and I, I couldn't share this at first hour because Vicki was in the service, but she said to me, you're very kind as a person. And I said, what? She said, you're just really kind. When little kids come over, you stop, you talk with them, you, you look at them. You get, you know, I said, yeah? So you think I'm kind? I had to think about that. You know what I mean? Because and I thought, you know what? I've worked hard at that my whole life, but I've never really thought about that. It comes across that way. You follow what I'm saying? But but we're supposed to put it on. We're supposed to work at it. We're supposed to be kind and gentle. And when she said that to me, I went away thinking, wow, that really was edifying. That was an edifying moment, you know, in my walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. These kind of attitudes should distinguish us, should make us distinct from others who, who, who are of this world. In, in Colossians 3, we're told that the words of Jesus are supposed to dwell in us richly. They're just supposed to kind of percolate in our souls. And I love how it says, you're supposed to sing in your heart. You're supposed to sing in your heart. Psalms, the Psalms, they were songs, right? You understand that the Psalms were songs, right? You're supposed to sing hymns. You're supposed to sing spiritual songs, It's supposed to be kind of what is going on in the heart. Your heart's supposed to be bubbling over uh, with with love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I I had a grandma. Her name was Bertha. And, you know, people are naming their kids old names, so I'm expecting Bertha to make a comeback. So someone's going to name their kid Bertha, right? No, probably not. But anyway, Grandma Bertha was my mom's mom on the Sanderson side uh, of our family. And uh, she was on a farm in northern Minnesota, her and Herman, my grandpa. Great names, Herman and Bertha, right? And, uh, and uh, farming in northern Minnesota is really hard. Uh, I, I, only reason I can understand that they took it, because the land was free and they came from Norway. And they, it felt like Norway and the land was free. But all they really grew was rocks, Amen. That was a joke in the family. We had a good crop of rocks this year, and if you looked up there at their fields, every field had corners, right, with pillars of rocks. That's what you did in your spare time. You picked the rocks. It was really rocky, sandy, kind of cruddy soil, and it was a hard life. They had nine children, and um, my mom would relate some stories to me when I was younger that their butter was pork fat. That's what they used to spread on their toast. Stuff like that. Some of you might think, well, that sounds really good. I... I I'm horrified when I hear that. I think cholesterol city, death early. You know what I mean? But um, that's what I think. But at any rate, um, my mom was having one of her rare moments of just actually sharing some things with us. You know, Norwegians don't talk, right? You understand that. So I, I, I never knew a lot about my heritage. I usually learned it from some other relative. But she was saying this about Grandma uh, uh, Sanderson, Grandma Bertha, right? She was saying, She used to do the hardest manual labor you would imagine. She used to scrub for hours our laundry out on the washboard. Do any of you even know what I'm talking about? Some of you older ones know. It was in a barrel, and you would put the clothes in there, and you would scrub them by hand of all things, right, for like hours. And she said, my mom said this one time to me uh, uh, as, you know, we were having a moment there when she was a. um, dying from her uh, cancer um, and we're having this real uh, moment so I'm going to lose it a little bit but she said you know I just remember your, your your grandma Bertha she would sing she would do that laundry and she would sing and it was terrible <laughs> so off-key, but she would sing the hymns of the church that we were going to and just sing them all day long as she went through all this manual labor and this tough life. And, and you know, when I got, when Mom said that to me, it was really, really revealing because I thought, oh, my grandma is a really strong believer. They don't, they don't share that stuff with you, right? If you're Norwegian heritage, some of you know what I'm talking about. But it makes sense. She was so kind, and so considerate all the time. Whenever I was around her, she always wanted to know what I'm doing. She never talked about herself. And, she, you know, this was my grandma. And I think, yes, we're supposed to have this song in our hearts, according to Colossians 3, that distinguishes us from the world. We're not, we don't, our moods don't go uh, as the world goes. Our moods are determined by Christ living in us. And no matter what we face, the hardships that we face, a song should come out of our heart. Amen. That will distinguish us from others who don't know Jesus Christ. Um, here's the subpoint B. Whatever you do, work as unto the Lord Jesus. This is another way to distinguish yourself. Uh, whatever you do, work as unto the Lord Jesus. Um, Colossians 3, verse 23 through 24. Now we're getting down into Colossians a little bit farther. Whatever you do, it says, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, just prior to these verses I read here, Paul tells the slaves, hey, when you're serving your master, serve them when they see you and when they don't see you. Because you're doing it as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't just serve them when their eye is on you, but serve them when their eye is not on you and please the Lord. Now, I... Grew up participating in every sport imaginable. Anything, anything, I loved it. So I had a lot of teammates in my growing up years. And I noticed kind of a pattern frequently, especially with team sports. And football, some of you guys who play football um, would know you would do these up and down. You'd run and the down run. They call them burpees now. Some of you know what burpees are, Right? So you'd go running, down, push it, down, right? Until you wanted to throw up. I think that was every football coach's dream is to get half the team to throw up. You know, then they're working hard. So I noticed this, this, this kind of pattern. Whenever the coach was watching somebody, they worked their tail off. But when he would turn, what do you think they would do? Take a break. A lot of my teammates would take a break. He just wouldn't work very hard. But when he turned, oh, you know, I thought, oh, you dog, right? Because you really think about what, what's the purpose of these drills? To prepare you for game, to get you in shape. So if you're just doing it when the coach is watching, you're not going by the spirit of the thing to get you in shape. And you're going to let your teammates down when they need you. That's kind of what I was thinking. Even as a young guy, I kind of figured that out. Maybe I think a little different than other people. But I remember when I first became a Christ follower 13, somehow I learned this scripture right away. Well, I read, right, I read through my Bible as a 13-year-old for one thing, and it just changed me. But I remember reading something like this. I think, I do this as unto you, Jesus. I don't do it for men to see me. And that became kind of a life verse for me. I do what I do to please my Lord. I don't do it to be seen by men or recognized by people. I do it to please my Lord, whether their eyes are on me or not. Uh, I shared this before, but frequently when I would be interviewed for a new position at 3M, and every two years when I worked there for 15 years, I got a new position. you get promoted or you get a different position. And frequently the interviewer would say to me, what makes you tick? Right? You ever been in some of those interviews? What what, what motivates you? And every time I think, well, I know what motivates me, but you probably don't want to hear this. And I would say my, my relationship with Christ is what, what really motivates me. And usually at that point, the interview was going, ooh, the guy, the interviewer was looking at me like I was a little bit loose in the head. Um, but I would quickly clarify some things by saying this. i say, because I follow Christ, I will work hard for you, whether you're watching me or not, because I work as unto him. Because I follow Christ, I'm not gonna do this for recognition. I'm gonna do what's right. Because I follow Christ... I, I don't need your constant adoration or affirmation because I do my, my, my job to please my Lord and you will see I'll be one of the least ones you have to worry about. Now you had to live it after saying that, right? But that should be us characterized. That should distinguish us. We should be distinctly different because we're Christ followers. We work us into the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that perspective? I would encourage you today, if you don't, adopt it. Begin to do your life entirely differently. This, my friends, is Daniel. This is how he did his life. And the more I've looked at the book of Daniel over the years, the more I've realized that one of the reasons that God uh, chose him as the messenger of these great prophecies, which is the second half of the book of Daniel, and, 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 and intervened so mightily in his life divinely, was because he truly lived a holy life. His heart was captured by God. And it wasn't, in his case, anything about externals. It was about his heart. He did what he did as unto the Lord to please his God. And he lived through all these kings, from crazy Nebuchadnezzar all the way to Darius, who kind of seems to be a kinder king. We'll find that out. But, you know, so um, this is the first point on how to distinguish yourself uh, as a follower of God. Um, But second point, I said second sub point. Let let, let me get to the last thing here. Excuse me. Uh, Just throw what I had out the window. Point number C is, have a countenance that is reflective of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have a countenance that's reflective of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, um, I think Daniel, he was winsome, evidently, and I think God determined his mood, not his circumstances, and I think that distinguished him. In our culture today, what I think we need to be as followers of Jesus Christ is, is reflective of Jesus to a culture that's cynical, that's angry, that's, that's uh, you know, you can name all the things you want to name about it. I hear people saying how bad it's getting all this time. Whatever. For you and I, Jesus determines who we are. Amen? And we should just have a different kind of countenance and, and, and that's reflective of Christ. That will just distinguish you like, like nothing else will. Um, so let's keep going on. Let's go on uh, how, how to live this holy life. Let's go to uh, big point number two. Daniel Daniel's conduct was above reproach. Okay, Daniel's conduct was above reproach. We're told so. In other words, uh, and this is sub point eight, be a person of integrity. We talk about this a lot in Christian circles that we're we're called to be people of integrity. But here, here's what I want you to hear today. The challenge is this, and I, I I begin to think about this. Why, why does integrity, why does it matter? Um, People often judge Jesus Christ on the people who claim to be his followers. Did you hear what I just said? That's why stuff like this matters. So if someone looked at your life, would they see Jesus? Or would they think, oh, if that's what a Christ follower is, I want nothing to do with it. See, we can't just be people who know the right things, say the right things. We have to be people who do the right things and behave the right way, too. All of our life needs to align, um, and, and I think that was Daniel. Paul Paul understood our dilemma. I mean, if you want to understand the dilemma that we face, you just go to Romans six, seven, and eight, and he talks very bluntly about this dilemma of dealing with our sinful man and how that sometimes uh, wins the day. But Paul also said and also wrote that that we can live in a way that's. Beyond uh, reproach. And, and, and so let me read a couple of those uh, for you here uh, this morning. In Titus chapter 2, verse 6 to 8, he says this Similarly, encourage young men to be self controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Paul also said this in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Now, I understand that those who oppose Christianity will often falsely accuse us, right? They'll make up stuff. Hey, they're going to do that. What I'm saying here this morning to to you, beloved in Jesus Christ, is don't give them any ammo. Amen? May they say things that are false. Okay, that's what's going to happen. That happens all the time. Are you all right with that? Hey, if you're in Christ, people are going to say things about you. Okay. But don't give them any legitimate ammo so that what they say really has nothing to do with who you really are. And Daniel was a shining example of this. I love this story. His name is Cleveland uh, Stroud. He coached the blue-collar Bulldogs for 18 years before his basketball team made it to the state championship. Stroud recalls that it was the perfect night when they won. Uh, The kind of night you dream about as a coach and as a player. He was carried around the gym on the shoulders of his triumphant players, and even the parents uh, got involved with that. The local paper put his picture on the front page. But that excitement was short-lived. Two months after the championship, during a routine grade check, Stroud discovered that one player was academically ineligible. The player had only played 45 seconds during the regional qualifying tournament. Stroud says, "Ah, oh, I got depressed. I didn't know what to do. I, I was discouraged, and I struggled with what to do next. Yet his commitment to integrity led him to the right decision. He said, Winning, to me, is the most important thing you can do as a coach. But your principles have to be higher than your goals. So he reported the error to the league. And the Bulldogs forfeited their championship. Tough moment. The team was lamenting their loss in the locker room. He told them, you got to do, fellas, what's right, what's honest, and what the rules say. People forget the scores of basketball games. But they don't forget what you are made of. Really, a really important lesson in our culture Because I think this lesson that he just shared is being forgotten, especially on the national level of of sports and more. I think we're just forgetting this, that, 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 you know, it's not about winning or losing. It's about who you are, amen? And if you want to be distinguished from this world, followers of Jesus Christ, be a person of great integrity, all right? Now, I'm going to share a story with you. And I for sure do not want you to use this against me or use it on me ever. Amen? Are you going to agree to this before I do this sharing the story? Are you? Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. One Sunday, a pastor preached a sermon on honesty. Okay. Monday morning, he took the bus to get to his office. He paid the fare, and the bus driver gave him back too much change. During the rest of the journey, the pastor was rationalizing how God had provided him with some extra money. He needed during the course of the next week. But he could not live with himself in that rationalization. So before he got off the bus, he proceeded to give back the extra money uh, to the driver and said to the driver, you have made a mistake. You've given me too much change. The driver smiled and said, there was no mistake. I was at your church yesterday and heard you preach on honesty. So I decided to put you to a test this morning. Yeah, that's terrible. Don't you do that to me ever. Or to each other. Leave the testing up to God. Amen? Can I get amen there? Yeah. Daniel was a person of great integrity. No corruption or neglect could be found in him. A big reason Daniel is what is that I think he oversaw his responsibilities as a holy act of obedience to his God. He didn't just fulfill his duties. He fulfilled them with this understanding that what I'm doing is a holy act of obedience to the God that I love so much. So if we want to be people who uh, live a holy life, we've got to oversee your area of responsibility as a holy act of obedience to Jesus. I'm just stuck on the thought. I was stuck on this thought for a long time. There is no corruption or or neglect in Daniel, and I, I, I don't know about you, but I read that and think, I'm, I'm kind of convicted right now. Because this is quite a testimony. He truly lived a holy life. I want to do another tangent with you. All right? So just take the trip with me. Interesting how, how what you see in Daniel is this kind of, you know, standoff of holiness versus corruption. Have you noticed that? kind of a constant theme going on here in the book of Daniel. In fact, it's kind of a constant theme in the Bible. Let me, let me tell you how the, how the story ends here in Revelation. In chapter 4, where we read about how God was sitting on his throne and, and surrounded him with his beings, his heavenly beings, and all day and all night, they cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right? So all they did was declare the holiness of God. So we see the holiness of God on one hand here in Revelation. Well, then you go to Revelation chapter 13, and we're told that, that God allowed, the, you know, Satan's beast to, to rule for 42 months. And he slandered God, and he's the father of lies, and, and we're told that, uh, that basically corruption was manifested by the beast. Well, then, interestingly enough, you get to to chapter 19, and it's a standoff, right, between God and Satan, the final one. Really, there is no comparison. We call it a war, but really, <laughs> God's sovereign, and he's allowed the devil to do things over, over time, but there really is no standoff. But, we're, but we see that all heaven is rejoicing. All heaven is rejoicing um, because it says, the great prostitute who corrupted the world by her adulteries, getting people to believe in false gods and put their hope in false things is no more. Holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. And what we see as a big theme in the Bible is the holiness of God standing off against the corruption of this world. And in the book of Daniel, we see skirmishes of that, right? But in the end of the age in Revelation, we see it on a global level. And once and for all, God's holiness will prevail. So I want to say this to you this holiness matters. We're going to have our skirmishes. If some of us live to the return of Jesus Christ, we don't know when he's coming back, right? It's preparing us for that ultimate skirmish, that ultimate battle of of holiness versus corruption. So in your life, I pray that God graces you to be one where there's no corruption. Nor neglect, but that you're following God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That you're doing to others as Christ would have you do. That you're diligent in loving God and loving others. Well, let's go to one last point here. How do we live a holy life? Daniel was trustworthy. Daniel was trustworthy, okay? So let's talk about practicing trustworthiness really quickly here. One, tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Do it with tact. Do it with empathy. Do it with love. Tell the truth. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Now, I've had the privilege as a person over the years to work a lot on the East Coast, when I was younger especially. And there's distinct cultural differences from coast to coast. You all know that, right? You go out there, they tell you what they think and they mean what they say. They don't do it a lot of tact. And sometimes they're kind of mean about it. I remember once that, that Vicky was with me on a trip out there and she said, Hey, we're lost. Just pull over and ask this guy for directions at the gas station. And I said, This isn't going to end well, hon. I've been out here. No, I don't do it. What can he do? And I said, Oh, boy. All right. So I pull over and he just, you know, swore at me and said, Do I look like a phone book? Okay. That's what I expected you to say. But my wife had experiences firsthand. So I got back in the car and we're still lost. You know what I'm saying? And th- when I get to the Midwest, to us, what I find here is you're all very nice. And we're not very good at um, conflict. So we don't say what we mean frequently. And we'll actually say something we really don't mean. <laughs> and we just don't do it because we're nice. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't be mean about it. Say what you mean, mean what you say. Keep your word. Be reliable. This is one I just threw in there because it bothers me so much. Return things you borrow. <laughs> I have to share this story. There's a reason. So I had a friend in Pella when I lived in Pella, Iowa, and he borrowed my saw or something. I can't remember the tool for sure. I think it was a skill saw, and. I was over at his garage one time, just like months later, right? And there's my saw on his pegboard with an outline around it. See, he outlined where the thing was supposed to go. Like, you, do you ever have a pegboard? You, the guys would have all their tools outlined and they know where to put away. I said, hey, that's my saw that's on your pegboard with an outline around it. He goes, oh, yeah, that is that, yeah, right. Kind of gave it back to me. What? You know what I mean? Would that bother you? Bother me. So if you borrow something, try to return it, you know, unless the person says they don't care. <laughs> keep private information private. Don't gossip. Don't gossip. In fact, if it comes to you, stop it. Just say, we're not going to do that. Don't ask your friend to do something wrong to keep your friendship, okay? So these are, these are things that will help with trustworthiness. Daniel with trustworthy. I'm going to finish with a challenge. May the only charge brought against you be that you follow Jesus in his ways. Amen? May that be the only charge brought against you and me. And that's where we're going to end the message here this morning. Uh, let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to thank you for Daniel for this, just this uh, few moments today to really dive deeply into what it means to be a person that lives a holy life. Um, thank you, Lord God, that you tell us that uh, when we're born again that you put the person of the Holy Spirit right inside us, that he really empowers us. He convicts us, comforts us, directs us, brings your teaching to our minds. So Holy Spirit, even as I talk on this subject matter, I know that uh, without you, we can't do this. This is not about trying harder. This is about being more in you, God. And I just pray that we'd be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit and in cooperation with his anointing and his, his direction that we would become people who set our lives apart for your glory, God. May we be like Daniel with no, there's no corruption or neglect found in us and there's nothing ever said against us other than following after you, Jesus. And if that be the case, so be the case. Would you bless the people of Grace Point? God, do a a work in them that's fresh and passionate. In your name I pray these things. And all God's people said...